Hello, everyone. Well, in the Gospel of John, we're told that Jesus was the Word made flesh. We're also told that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But what we're seeing today in, in common usage is that actually words there are being distorted to destroy truth. And that's the subject of today's commentary, which is called Words versus Truth. Nihilism is destroying our society. The recent acceleration of that destruction is hardly surprising. The dam holding back these deadly forces has been under relentless assault for decades. Nihilism is the root of modern leftism, but there is nothing new about the connection between leftism and nihilism. Nihilism is a school of thought, often expressed in political or social terms, holding that traditional values are worthless and empty due to the meaninglessness of our existence. The sole stance of nihilism is defiance. The singular goal is destruction of all that stands. Back in 1946, the great C.S. Lewis warned that post-Christian thought, a way of thinking that objects to absolute rights and wrongs, leads to nihilism. In mid-20th century, existentialism was in full bloom. It was mostly a movement among agnostics and atheists like Jean-Paul Sartre and Albert Camus who urged the inversion of meaning to render a meaningless world bearable. Fictions were needed to stave off the soul-draining sense of purposelessness to which atheists are especially prone. Nihilism has always been central to leftism. In 19th century Russia, the nihilist movement grew in tandem with Marxism. Marx himself had nihilistic tendencies, and figures like Nikolai Chernyevsky and Sergei Nikteyev were Lenin's greatest inspiration. Sadly, that destructive thread has continued to this day. Throughout its history, Marxism has been a refuge for the resentful, for those who nurse grudges, for those who project their pain, failures, and victimhood, real or imagined, upon the societies in which they live. Rich men, the bourgeoisie, and now whites are accused of inherent racism. To only a slightly lesser degree, Asians are resented for their academic, professional, and financial excellence. Jews are once again hated targets. Leftists must have villains to justify ruination. The traditional family, foundational to a healthy society, is subject to the wrecking ball. Children are specifically targeted. The smut peddled in schools is not just a means of shattering time-honored values and beliefs, but of destroying souls. No society has ever survived, much less thrived, within a state of moral depravity. Nihilism is the religion of the left. Anarchy is now at the core of the new liberal party. The old politics of the right versus left and conservative versus liberal have now given way to a new existential struggle. We must choose between civilization or its destroyers. The battle is not between competing visions of society that overlap in important ways, in other words, that share cultural basics like old liberalism and conservatism did, but between a prosperous, free tradition-based society versus the new malignant leftism that is spreading. Our cultural degradation began when Pierre Elliott Trudeau was elected in 1968. The counterculture was its primary agent. Libertinism has been combating traditionalism ever since. Tradition just keeps giving up ground, sometimes by inches, then by feet, proving that it is much simpler to destroy than to preserve and to build. In the quest to ruin the West, public and private institutions have been thoroughly infiltrated and in some ways seeded by traditionalists. 
Schools, media, and entertainment have seen decades of steady retreat by traditionalists who prefer other pursuits. We have appeased the leftist crocodiles in the feigned hope that they would eat us last. Consequently, culture is now the captive of the degenerate elite. We are required to swim in the cesspool that nihilists choose to fashion for us or else shut up, slink away, and live to fight another day. Any objection deemed a notable threat leads to cancellation, itself a form of oppression. Government and private institutions are weaponized to cancel dissenters. If not stopped and reversed, then the oppression only increases. Cancel culture is a clear step toward China's Orwellian social credit system, designed to ostracize dissidents. The worst offenders are condemned to struggle to feed, clothe, and shelter themselves. In the West, the traditional Christian is persecuted for being pro-life, pro-family, and against the radical fiction that is transgenderism. What awaits the loudest among us offenders, objectors, and dissidents? Gulags, thinly disguised as re-education camps. Lenin was a godless materialist who loathed Christianity and traditional Russian society. His animus reached well beyond a reaction to perceived systemic unfairness toward the Russian peasantry. Lenin chose not to exploit existing society, but instead to destroy it, or at least began that process. Stalin eagerly continued this grand project. Destruction was a precursor to a bright new communist society, according to their twisted rationale. In reality, Russian society became a nationwide gulag. Tens of millions perished. The human spirit was trampled. Bleakness was relentless. Lenin, the accidental existentialist and his acolytes, imposed a horrid meaning on their soulless world, totalitarianism and the cruel iron boot that came with it. In simplest terms, they chose to do evil. Leftist elitists are engaged in destroying the West. They have no plan. Finally, it is about destruction for its own sake. When in history have elites intentionally destroyed their own societies? There is a spiritual component at work. These modern nihilists act as conduits for an evil that pre-exists humanity. It flows through them, animating every act of ruin in which the nihilists engage. What these godless people fail to grasp is that by destroying all around them, they self-immolate. Evil is self-consuming. Only the Satan, or the oppressor, wins. That is what decent, common-sense people are up against today. The dangers are acute and growing rapidly. There's not anything across the land that is wholesome and beneficial to the common wheel that is not targeted for destruction. Even Christ's birth is mocked in public squares under the mask and cloak of pro-Palestinian protest. The purveyors of ruin claim to hold an alternative worldview aimed at stamping out historic, systemic wrongs to make the West a better, fairer, more equitable place. Their rhetoric is all the more delusional when measured against their harmful actions. They are flat-out liars and hypocrites. There is a globalist final solution. As C.S. Lewis once put it, quote, The greatest evils in the world will not be carried out by men with guns, but by men in suits sitting behind desks, end quote. From 1933 to 1945, the Nazis killed 17 million people, 6 million of them Jews. Adolf Eichmann 
organized the transportation of millions to die at Auschwitz, Buchenwald, and other concentration camps in support of die Entlösung, or final elimination of Jews from Europe. In 1961, he was finally discovered living in South America, captured by Israeli agents, and then brought to Israel for the first ever globally televised public trial. While most assume that Nazi leaders were twisted, psychopathic monsters, philosopher Hannah Arendt sparked controversy in her 1963 study, Eichmann in Jerusalem, a report on the banality of evil. She wrote that Eichmann, quote, was not an amoral monster, end quote. Arendt covered the trial and found Eichmann to be an ordinary, rather bland bureaucrat who was neither perverted or sadistic, but terrifyingly normal. Even 10 years post-trial, she wrote that the deeds were monstrous, but Eichmann was quite ordinary, neither demonic nor monstrous. As horrific as the Nazis were, today there is another group who seek a final solution even more terrifying. They want to eliminate over 7 billion humans from the face of the earth. In a 2017 interview, Dennis Meadows, co-author of the Club of Rome's Limits of Growth, said that the planet's population must be, quote, brought back down to 1 billion. The current global population is over 8 billion persons. Their idea is not new. In fact, it reaches back over two centuries to the 1798 Thomas Malthus essay on the principle of population as it affects the future improvements of society. Malthus concluded that unmanaged population growth would inevitably lead to a catastrophic societal collapse and advocated for limiting reproduction of, quote, undesirables. Charles Darwin credited Malthus with giving him his theory of natural selection, which influenced his cousin Sir Francis Galton's conception of eugenics, or good birth, the effort to improve the human species by selectively breeding those with desirable genetic traits, the very basis of Nazi plans to create a race of Aryan supermen. The rub of good birth was what to do about those with undesirable genetics, the poor, disabled and mentally deficient. Malthus argued against providing relief for the poor to prevent them from breeding. The Nazis upped the ante by industrially murdering Jews, gypsies, Slavs, etc. under their racial hygiene policy. In 1968, the Club of Rome was founded, proclaiming that to be sustainable, Earth's human population must not exceed one billion people. To distance themselves from the eugenics associated with the Nazis, they reframed their idea as population control. Aware that their ideas would face resistance, they called for global governments to enable them to achieve their aims. Pierre Elliott Trudeau became Canada's Prime Minister that very same year in time to answer the siren call of globalism. He joined the Club of Rome in 1968. Other so-called elites share the Club of Rome's goals and many of them trace back to David Rockefeller, former head of Chase Manhattan Bank, who was a longtime advocate of global government. He funded the Club of Rome and mentored Canadian magnate Morris Strong, who ran the UN Environment Program for three decades. It was through Strong, a Club of Rome member and a director of the World Economic Forum, or WEF, that Rockefeller influenced the UN and also Klaus Schwab. Longtime Rockefeller confidant Henry Kissinger was Schwab's tutor at the Harvard International Business Seminar for two years. Schwab credits both Strong and Kissinger as key mentors. In 1992, Strong introduced the UN Agenda 21, Sustainable Development, 
which in 2015 was rebranded Agenda 2030. Chapter 4 blames population growth for, quote, placing severe environmental stress on the planet, end quote. In 2019, Schwab signed an agreement with the UN Secretary-General to cooperate in accelerating implementation of Agenda 2030. So the international players pushing the climate change scheme are ideological descendants of globalist and depopulation advocate Rockefeller. Globalists also quietly support depopulation in other ways. For example, the Bill Gates Foundation has pledged $280 million annually from 2021 to 2030 to develop and improve contraceptive technologies, support family planning, i.e. to prevent human births. Gates is notorious for his funding of vaccine testing in Africa, and along with UNICEF and the WHO, has been accused of deliberately sterilizing Kenyan children through hidden HCG antigens in tetanus vaccines. In many parts of the world, Gates faces indictment for genocidal crimes. Birth control and abortion are, however, a long, arduous process for eliminating 7 billion excess humans. Mass starvation is much more efficient, and Agenda 2030 will achieve just that. If we look beyond the rhetoric, we recognize the devastating impact of banning fossil fuels and fertilizers, restricting agricultural emissions, culling cattle, etc. The Trudeau government, for example, recently spent 10000 per head to have assassins in helicopters shoot 800 caribou with the same AR-15 rifles that Canadians are being told to surrender in the name of public safety. Does it take monsters to plan to systematically starve seven-eighths of the world's population? Or just banal men like Aurelio Pecci, an Italian industrialist, or Alexander King, a Scottish chemist, the co-founders of the Club of Rome? Or men like Bill Gates and Ted Turner, who've been buying up verdant U.S. farmland to prevent the growing of food? Or the environmentalists willing to destroy Western civilization through net zero to save the planet? for the impact of a gas that comprises 0.04% of our planet's atmosphere. Or Klaus Schwab, the stereotypical middle manager who would rather this free and unpredictable world be more organized and tidy. These are the men in suits C.S. Lewis warned us about, who have anointed themselves worthy of deciding the very fate of God's green earth. The Nazis may have murdered 17 million people, but today's globalists are prepared to kill 500 times that number under the guise of sustainability. Dietrich Bonhoeffer witnessed global appeasement of the Nazis during the 1930s and presciently wrote, quote, If I see a madman driving a car into a group of innocent bystanders, I cannot simply wait for the catastrophe and then bury the dead. I must try to wrestle the steering wheel out of the hands of the driver, end quote. When images of the Nazi death camps forced the world to acknowledge the Nazi Holocaust, the post-war world promised never again. But nobody is trying to wrestle the wheel away from the hands of demonic globalists today. Rather than stop it now before the mass graves are dug, 193 UN member nations are actively implementing it. This time, unlike the 1930s, they need not avert their gaze to preserve plausible deniability. If Agenda 2030 succeeds, there will be precious few of us left to hear that lie spun. Those of us who have lived through the latter part of the 20th century 
are well acquainted with the power of words to distort reality, twist the truth, and make people do what in their right minds they would never consider, including actions that could harm them, often tragically. Was it not the words of Hitler in his 1930s public rantings that roused Germans to action that led to the killing of millions of people in the Second World War? Meanwhile, consider how incredibly the New York Times underestimated Herr Hitler. The trouble with words is made forcibly clear in the 1939 classic British film We Are Not Alone, in which an innocent man played by Paul Muni is accused of murder and faces death by hanging. He says, in a moment he steals to speak in his own defense, words can be true and still have no truth in them. The mindless and often malicious use of words can make what is false appear true, what is fake seem real, what is wrong sound right, and what is right seem wrong. A misuse of words that is familiar to anyone whose brain has not been washed by those cunning enough to make false information serve as propaganda, the kind frequently sending innocent people to jail or to an early grave. Speaking truthfully, despite intimidation, is a necessary part of fighting lies. Sounding off with truth punches holes in what is false, dishonest, and insincere. Silence, let us always remember, gives consent to actions that can harm people. Time is past due for the silent majority in the West to shout. Who among us remains blissfully unaware of the leftist hatred of reality, including what defines human life? Who has not noticed that defending humanity by speaking the truth about it has become hate speech to leftists? Are not the real finger-pointing haters those who stand with their back to a mirror they ought to be facing? Are they not the ones who despise what is most precious to us? That list is taught by the right to life and the freedom to think according to conscience. That requirement demands a respect for human life that leftists do not possess, revealing a profound self-loathing which words cannot disguise. Not even a dispassionate, neutral, middle-ground approach to dealing with the most important issues of human life can penetrate to the core of what is essentially a spiritual matter. Pontius Pilate asked Jesus of Nazareth, who claimed to bear witness to the truth, what is truth? Like today's leftists, Pilate expected an answer expressed in words. But if words cannot even begin to express what life is, let alone the many intangibles that science fumbles to explain, how was an adequate answer to Pilate's question even possible in mere words? In Shakespeare's Hamlet, there is a scene in which the protagonist plays at seeming mad before the king's informant, Polonius. Quote, Polonius, what do you read, my lord? Hamlet, words, words, words. Polonius, what is the matter, my lord? Hamlet, between who? Polonius, I mean the matter that you read, my lord. Hamlet, slander, sir. For the satirical rogue says here that old men have gray beards. Hamlet, aside, though this be madness, yet there is method in it. Though words are essential to human life, it is equally essential that they be connected to the truth about the first things regarding the spiritual, as well as the material welfare of humanity. This exceeds the power of words to handle perfectly, as with trying to express the joy of a breathtaking sunset. There is ample evidence that total reliance upon words for essential information grants mischief-makers and rebels license to scheme against the public interest. Where connection to the divine is missing, words can be used to justify any atrocity. That is the point of what Hamlet says to Polonius about words. 
they can be manipulated to hide method in badness. The key connection is faith in God rather than in mankind, a link that provides the needed supplement to human inadequacy to act consistently in the public interest. This is a familiar link even to agnostics who suddenly rely upon faith in God when facing imminent danger. Leaders who forget the shortcomings and deficiencies of being human, including the wisest among them, make their own traps into which they frequently fall. Failure to resist the dark side of human nature continues to stain the otherwise great track of human history with the spilled blood and countless loss of innocent lives. Ultimately, no one benefits from disregarding the dark side of humanity rather than fully resisting its evil elements, a habit that needs to be cultivated in childhood and then maintained for life. Yet today we witness heads of state and religious leaders continuing to aid and abet the insane attack upon civilization that led our ancestors out of the brutal savagery of the Hobbesian state of nature, thinking that they are promoting progress rather than regression into a new dark age. Mindlessly swallowing the words routinely paraded in politics disposes us to habitual acceptance of party propaganda. Such inattention to reality tragically misses the fact that truth is apolitical. It takes no sides. It is independent of opinion, nor does it change or bow to political passion. Those who believe that truth is irrelevant today need to prepare for a sobering reality check. All who deal in falsehoods and in hiding truth are certainly aware that the words they will not divulge to us could swiftly end their work and make us remember that it is the power of truth, not of words, that sets us free from tyranny. How then do we become rebels for Christ? Well, for a start, an unjust law is no law at all. And the more that injustice becomes the law of the land, the more likely it is that chaos will ensue. This is because injustice, just like sin, begets more of its own kind. Most of us have a moral compass to distinguish right from wrong, but we also ignore this compass to our detriment. It is much easier to just accept the world as it is, even when it is drenched in depravity, than to rebel against an oppressor. It is far easier to remain silent in the face of outrageous sin than to stand alone and say, this is wrong. But sins are a heavy burden to bear. The mountains of evil rising in our world torment every human soul. Only by actively fighting the resulting chaos can we hope to one day find salvation. The noble idea that the struggle against evil is worth any cost is easier spoken than done. After all, how can the actions of one person make any appreciable difference? But as Christians, it seems more logical to ask, how can anyone dedicated to making a difference ultimately not succeed? Christ came to seed a message of hope and redemption. He died for our sins. His disciples spread that message throughout the world, suffering torture and death so that we might live. Christians have been persecuted, imprisoned, and slaughtered ever since so that we might be saved. Next to their martyrdom, our hardships are trivial. Rebellion against injustice so that we may remain obedient to God is surely righteous. When we say it aloud in that way, Will we choose man's laws or God's? The answer is obvious. You need not become an international spy to become a rebel for truth. God blessed each of us with special talents carrying corresponding duties. It is up to each of us to do what we can with steadfast determination.
rebelling against the evils of this world requires no additional invitation. Among his many sermons on the importance of sacrifice and hard work, English greengrocer and lay preacher Alfred Roberts attested, quote, There is no promise of ease for the faithful servant of the cross, and there is no bypass round Calvary. You will have to be a man of humble heart and paradoxically also a man of authority. God wants no faint hearts for his ambassadors. He wants a man who, having communed with heaven, can never be intimidated by the world. End quote. That is invaluable advice. No matter how small we may feel, when we act with God in our hearts, we have nothing to fear. We become the rock around which those with no resolve must move. Roberts knew that human salvation depends upon our character. He thus devoted much of his life to forging in others indestructible souls full of virtue, tenacity, and perseverance. By many measures, he was successful, but he is best remembered for the moral strengths of his famous daughter, known by history simply as the Iron Lady, Britain's first female prime minister. We can never know when our seemingly mundane words or actions might light a flame of courage in our neighbors. We know not how our fine example could impact another's future. So we must speak the truth bravely and live as if curious eyes are constantly watching us. We must be persons of both gentleness and authority. We must be fearless while others quake. We must oppose injustice and defy evil. We must be wise as serpents, but gentle as doves. Most of all, we must remember that no matter which tyrant rises or what iniquity spreads, God's faithful children have nothing and no one to dread. For the real battle is already won.